This is the Eating Well Podcast number three for September 26th, 2005. I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And you can get to our website at eatingwellpodcast.blogspot.com. Or send us an email to eating.well at gmail.com. The intro music was Groove It by Dennis Kitchen, part of the Podsafe Music Network, available at music.podshow.com. So today we thought we'd start with a follow-up question from Sue in Ohio. She says, low carb, no carb. All diets seem to encourage six smaller meals a day. Any suggestion on how to split up the proteins to maximize energy during the day? Well, generally speaking, I think grazing is a good idea. Some people only manage to get one mega meal a day when they get home from work, and that's not really good. Um, you know, it's coffee in the morning and, uh, you know, something, just something they can grab and go, and something uh, probably not fantastic at lunch, whatever happens to be available. And then they come home and they're starving and they eat a huge meal and quickly fall asleep. So grazing is much better. To have six smaller meals is fantastic. Uh, portion control is important, though, because you're not eating six full-size meals. Just because you're eating six and you split your protein up over six meals doesn't mean you get to eat more. It's, it's less per meal and just more meals. Right. It's more like six snacks per day. If you look at it that way. And you're right. In my line of work, I hear all the time that people don't really have breakfast. They start off with coffee. Lunch starts at whatever time, 12, 1, 2 o'clock. Grab whatever's convenient. Sometimes it's something healthy. Sometimes it may be from the vending machine. Who knows? We definitely tend to eat a lot at dinner time. We get home and we're famished. We eat a snack before dinner. Then we eat dinner. Then we kind of continue eating until we go to sleep. And it's definitely not the recommended. If you consider food your source of fuel, think about when you need fuel. So if you're going to split up your meals so that you have energy, maximize your energy, what's what's a good rule of thumb? I typically recommend you have about 30% of your calories for breakfast, 40% for lunch, and then the last 30 for dinner. And is there any emphasis on uh, when you get the proteins in or when you get your carbohydrates in? Not necessarily. You should have some carbohydrates and some protein and some fat at every meal. Typically more fat in the morning, in the afternoon, and less in the evening. But you're going to need some carbs and some protein every time you eat. I see. So I guess the idea being that you're going to uh, have this energy available throughout the day instead of fueling up to go to bed. Right, exactly. You wake up in the morning and you're tired and you're in a rush, but you don't realize that you actually have to put some food into your body to fuel your system, your brain, and your energy level just to get you through the morning. I know a lot of people rely on caffeine to get started in the morning. A friend of mine is using caffeine throughout the whole day, and I, I was trying to convince him, you know, that this is not the way to go, and he's pretty much addicted to his, you know double shot in the morning. Yeah, and I like that you said using caffeine because it's not that we consume it or drink it. We use it. It's a drug. It's not necessary for nutrition at all, but it does get us through the morning. Well, the show topic for today is fats, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in the last show, 
we had talked about one way to get plenty of protein in without all the fat, and that was tofu and soy-based products. And I had said that I was going to try and get some in and give them a shot, and I did. I, <laughs> I did try some. And, you know, the best of the bunch, I have to say, was the recommended uh, Morningstar Farms sausages, sausage right. patties. They were good. I mean, they weren't fantastic, <laughs> like, i got to have some more of that good. But they were all right. They were tolerable. <laughs> I also tried uh, the Light Life Smart Ground. That's a soy-based veggie meat replacement. And this one was the taco burrito flavored. It had okay. already come pre-seasoned. And I, I replaced what I would normally put chicken in for. So that, that went in there. And it was all right. I, I mean, I, I wasn't disgusted. <laughs> That's always a good thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, it doesn't require the same amount of cooking time. And so it kinda, I had to modify the recipe a little bit because right. the vegetables in the de- deal had to be cooked. And then this fake meat gets just heated up, basically. We don't want to refer to soy as fake meat. It's a meat alternative. <laughs> I I stand corrected. Uh, it was very high in sodium because it was seasoned. Right. And it had a ton of pot- potassium in it, but uh, that's okay with me. Uh, so that one was all right. It was the Light Life Taco Burrito Smart Ground was the name of the product. Uh, I also tried, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this one, Y-V-E-S. Ives. Ives. The veggie sausage patties. I thought, well, that Morningstar Farms was all right. We'll try this brand. Wrong. Didn't like it, huh? I, I guess it's not like a pure soy product. It's vegetables and other soy. No. And we have to keep in mind that all of these meat substitutes or meat alternatives are all vegetable-based. We get soy-based and vegetable-based and then combination, but soy is a vegetable. It is a processed soybean. But, you know, I have to hand it to you for trying these products. And, and you know, you're exactly right. You try one, it's good or not good, go to another brand. People out there love the Boca Burgers. I'm not the biggest fan of those, but they're a hit. People love them. Yeah, I've tried a Boca Burger, and it it was decent. You know, it's an acceptable alternative, and I think that's what the idea is. It may not be exactly what you're craving or what everyone else is having, but it's an acceptable alternative. Right. The reason why we started talking about the soy-based products in the first place in our last show when we were focusing on protein is because when you do incorporate soy into your diet on a regular basis with these you know, meat alternatives, you drastically reduce the grams of fat that you intake, especially the saturated fat. And what we're talking about today is fats. And I guess the first thing we need to cover is uh, why do we need these fats? Some people have gone to drastic measures to remove all kinds of fat in every form of fat, and if it's got one gram of fat in it, that's too much. Um, I remember uh, not so long ago, fat was the super big enemy, and now the super big enemy is carbs, and, uh, you know, I guess everything in moderation, but fats do serve an important role. We need a certain amount of our diet to be fat, to be carbohydrate, to be protein. We need this in different amounts each day. Um, Fat in general, you know, we need to have the good fat, which we'll get into in a minute, but it actually supplies energy to the body in a very compact form. It's about 9 kilocalories per gram, and depending on which fats you choose, it's going to actually supply some essential fatty acids that are needed by the body. So fat is necessary and important. It's very necessary, absolutely important. You're not going to want to go on an absolutely fat-free diet. Not safe. 
but this is not one of the more is better for you. If some is good, more is better. You know, if you go on a real fat-free diet, you're going you're gonna to feel it pretty quickly. Um, you don't need to have a lot of fat in your diet, and typically Americans on average get more than enough. Yeah, typically I have to agree. Uh, Americans get plenty of fat in their average fast food diet. Uh, oh yeah, in a fast food diet they get multitudes of fat, way more than one needs, especially the bad fat. And the bad fat is something we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Uh, we got a question from Amber. She says, hello Michelle. Hey. <laughs> she says, hello Michelle. Here are some questions that people often are confused about. How about what is the difference between monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, and saturated fats? Which are the good fats and which are the bad fats? Are hydrogenated oils all that bad for me? Well, that really is a loaded question, so let's break it up and answer it a little bit at a time. There clearly are good fats and bad fats, and then there's really bad fats. So as Steve alluded to in the beginning, we call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. We never need bad fats. We definitely don't need the ugly, the horrible bad fats, but we do need some of the good fats. So the first one she pointed out is the monounsaturated. These are the good ones. Monounsaturated and polyunsaturated. We want to focus on including those into our diet on a regular basis. There's some health benefits to having the mono, the monounsaturated and the polyunsaturated. And I guess they help lower triglycerides and your LDL. They increase your HDL, which is the good cholesterol, right? Right. The triglycerides are the actual amount of fat circulating in your blood system at any given time. And the LDLs are the bad portion of your cholesterol, and the HDLs are the good ones. The way I help people remember this is HDL are the happy, and the LDL are the lousy. So these monounsaturated fats actually help even out your ratio to give you the desired cholesterol level you're looking for. And you can get a blood test from your doctor to have this measured. It's a pretty common place oh, to have sure. your, your cholesterol measured. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you can even buy an over-the-counter cholesterol kit at your local pharmacy these days. Uh, that's impressive. I didn't know that was available. And what about saturated fats? We've talked about un unsaturated, mono and poly unsaturated. What is a saturated fat? The saturated fat is what's typically found in animal products. You, there are some plant-based products out there that do contain saturated fat, like coconut oil or palm oil or palm kernel oil, but primarily you're going to find these in animal products, animal meats, dairies, etc. And we need these? Are these the bad fats? These actually raise your LDL, the lousy part of your cholesterol. They raise them. And so... The idea is to limit these. Yes, you can have them, but in moderation. And that's up for interpretation, but we don't need them. Whereas we do need the unsaturated fats. They balance things out. Exactly. We need the fats to help you know, maintain our body temperature, to metabolize other um, functions in the body. We need them. And the last part of our question are hydrogenated oils. And this is the ugly. The ugly, the very ugly. How did we ever get to hydrogenated oils in the first place? You know, this is a good question. The, the restaurant industry in general had needed a source of oils that were going to last on the shelf for a long time and be inexpensive. So, supply and demand. Here we basically added an extra hydrogen bond to a typical oil, 
extends the shelf life dramatically, and is very inexpensive. Therefore, predominantly most fast food restaurants use this oil. And many regular restaurants, unless they're advertising they're using non-hydrogenated oil, they typically use it as well. So we got a question from GH. It says, I've been hearing about how trans fat is so bad for you. What is trans fat, and how would I know if a product contained trans fat? So basically the answer to that, short and sweet, is that um, these fats have undergone a chemical process. They actually have been found to increase uh, risk of heart disease. They may promote insulin resistance. Um, and they're primarily the fats that are used in the deep fryers. So anything you buy typically at a fast food restaurant or a regular restaurant that's been deep fried is been done so with uh, these trans fats. So um, that is going to include things like the chicken nugget and the french fries and the filet of fish and all of those fryer foods that are typically grab-and-go type things. Right, and even such foods like fried zucchini. We think we're getting our vegetables in there, but we have this great zucchini that's acting like a sponge soaking up the trans fats. That's the second uh, fried zucchini reference. You got a story to tell about fried zucchini? Did I? I think I must be craving it. <laughs> Better make my own without the trans fats. Um, so basically what happens is these um, hydrogenated particles get into our body and break up the membrane of our cells. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> then we're faced with mutated cells. We know what mutated cells are, don't we? No, it's a mutated cell. Mutated cell doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like something I want. It doesn't sound good because it's not good. Study upon study has found that these trans fats are carcinogenic, leading to the mutated cells, which actually are cancer. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, not a good thing. So we're going to avoid the ugly. Do your very best. And there's a new labeling law that's going to help you find out if the trans fat is in the products you're consuming. Starting in 2006, manufacturers are going to have to put on the label the amount of trans fat in their product. There actually are a lot of products on the market now that are listing trans fats on their label. And typically, it's when there's zero grams in it. In the last show, you mentioned a product that you'd found that does list trans fat, even though they don't have to, and there is trans fat in the product. Yes, and I went back to my office, recovered the labels, and remembered that um, this is actually labeled currently in our very favorite Girl Scout cookies. Not the Girl Scout cookies. Well, I didn't think they were particularly healthful, but I didn't think that they had trans fat in them. You know, and just like you mentioned, this labeling law that's going to be in effect in 2006, um, I'm willing to bet that they're going to reformulate their product, as are many of the uh, companies right now. Yeah, a number of products have been reformulated. Kraft and uh, some uh, other manufacturers have reformulated their products and now advertise the fact that they contain no trans fat. Right. And as Steve was mentioning a minute ago, you can look on the nutrition label under the fat, and it will oftentimes break it down into monounsaturated and polyunsaturated. It doesn't have to yet, but when it does start listing the trans fats, it'll be very clear and easy to read. Currently, since it's not required, if you want to know if any given product contains trans fats, you want to look at the list of ingredients. If it says hydrogenated oils or partially hydrogenated oils, especially in the first three to four items on the list of ingredients, it's probably not a quality product. Probably not. I would say that it's assuredly not. Top three or four, that's bad news. Yeah, good point. 
there's a lot of foods out there that really need to be mentioned that don't have labels on them typically. So um, you're going to find it in a lot of commercial baked goods. Um, if it has a long shelf life, there's a really good chance that it's in that product. The Twinkie. Yes. I don't want to name any you know, per, you know, particular manufacturers, but those types of foods. Yeah. Things that you might buy at like a convenience store while you're getting gas. Right. Long <laughs> right? shelf life. You mentioned the fried foods, especially a big culprit is French fries. We eat a lot of French fries as a nation. And this should really be pointed out that these are not good for us. Just because it's a potato doesn't mean they're healthy for us. If you want French fries, I highly encourage you to make your own. The ones out there, they have been referred to as cancer sticks. Mm. And I know why, because they're just saturated potatoes full of trans fats. Uh, fast food chains that sell French fries not cooked in uh, a trans fat? I don't know the answer to that. However, I seem to recall reading that In-N-Out Burger only uses non-hydrogenated oils. And I'm not surprised with their you know, marketing touting all fresh, fresh produce and fresh, fresh foods. Yeah, I believe that you're right. I think uh, I think they print something about it on the bottom of their French fry tray. I think that's right. Two more products I just don't want to forget to mention in particular are donuts. Donuts are almost always saturated with these bad trans fats and stick margarines. Um, a great example is like the Crisco shortening type products. Right, and so your recommendation would be to use, if you're going to use butter, use real butter instead of margarine. If you're going to use it, use the real deal. And just, uh, what's the calorie difference? Is that what the big deal is? You know, it's actually not a huge calorie difference. It's the fat content difference. I the see. The quality of fat. Well, better than having the trans fat is to have the real deal fat in the real butter than to use margarine. So we're kind of going backwards from the ugly to the bad. We still don't need butter. Right, And if we're going to use it, it clearly should be in moderation. Later on, we're going to get into some specific products that could be qualified as a, as a good product in place of butter, especially in place of um, shortening. Well, what are some good sources of fat uh, that you should include? In moderation, of course, but these are, these are foods that are easily obtained that have good fats in them. I know for sure it's almonds and, and I think walnuts too, huh? Yeah, the three main nuts we definitely want to include in our diet on a regular basis. Um, in moderation, I know we keep saying that, but it's very important. Almonds, peanuts, and walnuts. And we're talking about dry roast Dry or roasted raw. or raw. Unsalted, without mm. the extra caramel, crunchy, high-sodium covering that might be found on them. Right. And uh, again, portion control, moderation. If you open the can, you don't get to eat the entire contents of said can. Exactly. And when I say moderation, I know that's up for interpretation, so I'll clearly say an ounce a day. One ounce. Get a scale. Get some kind of measuring cup out. Measure it out. One. Uh, excuse me. One ounce a day. Some other good sources are olives and olive oil. Olive oil. Is that uh, a lot of people want to cook with oil? And I know canola oil and olive oil are said to be better. Is this part of the reason why? This is the big reason why. Typically across the board, oils in general have about the same calories per serving, but the fat, the fat content drastically varies. So when you're looking at canola oil and olive oils, the more extra virgin you get, the better. You're getting a really nice quality product that contains these unsaturated fats. 
Once again, moderation is important. You don't want to dump a cup of olive oil on your food just because it's quote unquote good for you. It's right. better for you. Right. I like the Misto. It's a product that you can put regular oil into and you pump it up so it's got air pressure inside and it becomes a little sprayer kind of like uh, the, you know, the the low calorie uh, sprays like Pam and some of the others, but you're now using an, just oil and no propellants. Right. And this this product is available at um, you know, your favorite kitchen gadget store for like $10. Right. It's wonderful. You just like Steve said, you pump it up and you spray it on. You're using about a quarter of a teaspoon as compared to several tablespoons if you were to open up the bottle and just pour it on. Well, how many calories are in oil typically? Is you measure it by the teaspoon or by the tablespoon or by the cup? or Oil in general is about 125 calories a tablespoon. So, so for a quarter of a teaspoon, what are we talking about? What, 125 divided by 4? About 30? 30 calories. 30 calories a tablespoon? Uh, 30 calories for a quarter of a te- tablespoon? I can handle that. Yeah, much better than pouring on several tablespoons. Or, you know, we take a stick of butter and melt it on the pan. Mm. There's many tablespoons, hundreds of calories of all saturated fat. Nice substitution. Another item we should talk about, in particular when we're looking at good fats, is fish. You know, oh. some people love it, some people don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. <laughs> Sorry to hear that you don't. I know we talked about fish a little bit when we when we covered proteins, but here's another reason why we should choose fish, especially if we're looking at having fish several times a week in place of beef. Hmm. Okay, um, some fish are better than others. Salmon, cod, sardines, mackerel, and tuna are really great sources. Sardines, you got to watch out for sodium. Usually, they're packed in brine or something like that. Yeah, if you can take the, you know, open the can and take them out and not consume the actual liquid that they're in, you're going to save yourself a lot of sodium. What about the avocado? The avocado is something that uh, could be dangerous because people who like avocados love avocados. Mm. So you might have heard before that you should have a quarter of a slice or a quarter of an avocado. My recommendation is up to a half an avocado a day. And it's funny that we're talking about this because I, I was with um, some other health professionals w- over the weekend, and someone mentioned an, a diet that was very low in fat but consisted of eight avocados a day. Why, wow, that's pretty rough. How are you going to get a low-fat diet with eight avocados a day? Well, you know, you can get a low-fat diet that way because it's just good fat. However, it's not a low-calorie diet. Just because something is low fat is still a calorie issue when we're looking at weight loss and weight management, which most of us are. Yeah. Well, in the fish department, it again matters how you're going to cook the fish. If you fry it, you, you're kind of defeating the point of getting in the good fats. Right, and we talked about the sponge effect. So if you go to your favorite restaurant and you order the fish and chips, you're getting the spongy fish and the spongy potato soaked up full of the trans fats. So if you love fish and you love fries and you like the way they taste that way, I highly encourage you to cook them at home with your own canola oil. And what, have you used flax seed before? You know, so now we're kind of getting into the omega-3s, which I wanted to just mention is is, is important source that you're going to find in your walnuts and your salmon. Um, but the flax seeds are another great way to get these unsaturated fats into your diet. And the omega-3s, I, I don't understand what the omega-3 
they are fatty acids, are they not? Yeah, you might have heard the term before, omega-3 fatty acids. That's kind of the way it's typically said. And these are actually really um, important to promote heart health normal heart rhythm. Most importantly, they help the platelets in your blood from becoming sticky. If your platelets become sticky, it leads to blood clots. And this is in fish and a good portion of the nuts we mentioned in salmon it, in particular. It's particularly in salmon, in cod, in walnuts, in tuna, in flax. There's a lot of products on the market that contain the word flax. Flax oil, flax seed, flax meal. I prefer the flax meal. It's easy to use. It's easy to disguise in your foods. And what is it? Is it a paste or is it like a grain? It's almost like the consistency of um, wood dust when you're... Uh, what, like, like sawdust. Yeah, sawdust. It's almost like the consistency of a sawdust. So, you know, you wouldn't want to eat it by itself. But the good news is the studies show one level tablespoon per day is sufficient. More is not necessarily going to help you. So you could split that up. Or put it into a, a soup or something like that? or You know, I sprinkle it on a salad, put it in a, a smoothie. You don't even know it's there. It's pretty tasteless. I was going to ask, what does it taste like? Does it, uh, anything, anything in particular? Mm. <laughs> nope, not much of anything. You can use the seeds, but the thing is you have to soak them overnight and let them open up, and your body has to digest them properly. And um, the oils people like because they're also, um, you know, easy to consume. But you could... If you, if you tend to burp, you, you could taste it when you burp from the oils. <laughs> so I recommend the, the flax meal. You could actually take the seeds and grind them up in a coffee grinder, and they're actually selling flax seed grinders these days. But huh. um, And the thing to keep in mind that's really important with this flax meal is that it comes in a special bag, a special pouch that's iridescent, and it should be kept in the refrigerator in the bag that it comes in. Because it light or lighter will degrade it and heat will degrade it. Exactly. It's temperature sensitive and light sensitive. Good to know. So there are a number of products on the market that you can use that are reduced in fat. They've specifically reduced the fat in normally high fat products that would serve as an alternative. Maybe not, uh, maybe you don't need mayonnaise, but choosing an alternative to regular mayonnaise could serve you very well. Right. If you love mayonnaise, the taste and consistency and texture of a real mayonnaise, you might not like an alternative product. But if you're just making, you know, a casserole, a tuna salad or an egg salad, and you're just using it as a good substitute, there's a really nice product out there on the market called Smart Beet. It's available at most conventional grocery stores just next to the Kraft and the Best Foods, and it's called Smart Beet. It's only 10 calories a tablespoon, no fat, um, and 10 milligrams of cholesterol. It's not an animal-based product. Can you make can you make your own out of uh, yogurt or something or try and manufacture it? If you have a recipe, you should send it in to us, uh, eating.well at gmail.com. Several people uh, I'm aware of have these uh, mayonnaise substitute recipes that are yeah, like a compromise. Some people cut them half and half with regular mayonnaise just to knock out some of the calories when they really need the flavor. Right. Yeah, it would be great if you guys can send us in your ideas. We'll definitely use them, pass them on. Um, another great product that the same company makes is, um, it's called Smart Balance. It's a butter spray. So you're actually spraying it, like we mentioned earlier, which minimizes the calories and the fat content, and it's called Smart Balance Butter Spray. I like the, I can't believe it's not butter spray. I use that a lot. And it says yeah. zero calories on the package, but that's for five sprays, and that's that's never enough. So yeah. it, it breaks down to about a calorie a spray. So count how many you use. 
and be honest and say, you know, I put 45 sprays onto this, so <laughs> it's 45 calories. You're exactly right. Whenever the label looks too good to be true, it probably is. So I actually called the manufacturer on this several years ago when the product first came out. And I was like, well, if there's animal fat in this product, how can there be zero calories? They're like, well, the labeling law says if it's under five calories a serving, it could say zero. Um, but I agree with Steve. This is a quality product. It tastes delicious. There's several different flavors out there. And as long as you're you know, using the pump and spraying it on, you're doing yourself a service. Once you open up the lid and start pouring it on your food, <laughs> it's a whole other story. Hey, now you're in trouble. Yeah. So there are a number of fat-free salad dressings, and there's one company in particular that really stands out. They make excellent products and quite a variety of products, but their, their salad dressings that are fat-free are fa fantastic. Walden Farms brand, and they've been kind of hard to get a hold of. Uh, you can get them on their website. We'll put a link up so you can order them from the website. But they've been at a, a couple of uh, health food product stores, and they've started to hit the mainstream in large chains like Albertsons. Yes. Here in uh, San Diego area, they're typically found at um, Henry's types natural food stores. And if you look in your regular grocery store, just look in the diet section. It's not going to be next to the regular salad dressings typically. But... Um, a, another quality product and if you go to their website which Steve is going to put up for you you can see all kinds of great stuff they offer right. and it's zero calories per serving another you know it's got some calories in it so you can't just have the whole bottle but for one serving size it's zero calories the cool thing about this company I called them as well and every single product that they offer says zero calories on the label where actually the calories are four so anytime it says this is a serving size you're getting four calories per serving which is very it's very negligible. And they have a bunch of products. I mean, we're kind of going on about them, but they really are fantastic. They've got a marshmallow dipping sauce. I haven't tried that one yet. It is very good. They've got a chocolate dipping sauce. They've got a chocolate sauce. They've got ketchup. Teriyaki They've, sauce. Teriyaki sauce, I understand, is very good. They've barbecue got an sauce. Oriental sauce, a couple of kinds of barbecue sauce, a honey one and a, a mesquite one and a traditional one. These products are especially good for people that um, have diabetes. So they, they actually contain sucralose, um, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, they're actually um, low-carb or carb-free. It tells you on the label in big letters. They're, they're bragging about the product. And it's good. It actually tastes good. It's not exactly the same. There's Keep a little that bit in of mind. It. You know, it's, uh, it's the best of what's available as far as what I've tried. I agree. And so do hundreds of patients of mine so far that have reported this. Anytime I recommend it, they come back and say, thanks, that's a great product. So to move on a little bit, you also have fat-free dairy like, like fat-free milk, fat-free yogurts. And sour cream is kind of an iffy one for me. I've tried a couple of the fat-free sour creams, and that wasn't, I didn't like them so much. I haven't found one that I really like. But also uh, cottage cheese, at least the low-fat cottage cheese. That's good that you mentioned that because whenever I mention fat-free dairy to my patients, they look at me like I'm crazy. So finding a low-fat product to start with and getting used to that, you can take the full-fat and the non-fat and mix them half and half, or just buy a low-fat and eventually make your way down the chain. You're saving yourself a lot of calories and a lot of grams of fat. And really, it's just a matter of what you're used to. If you're used to the regular milk, Non-fat milk is going to taste kind of funny. It's going to taste like water. <laughs> yeah. So and you can you can wean yourself off of that, and then once you get used to it, you'll you won't remember going back, or you won't 
you won't f- notice the difference. I agree. You know, I was raised on full-fat vitamin D milk. Um, as a and a young adult, I started going to the 2% and then to the 1% and now to the fat-free. So even if I have 1% these days, I can actually taste the fat in there. So you just you keep, you get used to it. And again, the whole point is to cut out the fat. Yeah, we get enough fat in our diet. If we can minimize it and eliminate it from these types of sources, you know, we can go enjoy the, the whole avocado. Yeah. And we mentioned protein in the last podcast. And a big way to reduce the amount of fat and still get all your protein in is to use soy. Yes, I'm a firm believer in the soy products. And, you know, there's soy milk, soy cheese, soy meat substitutes. You know, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of some of the soy milks and some of the soy cheeses. They don't melt well. But, you know, they actually save a lot of fat. And if you're willing to try them and you like them, which a lot of people do, go for it. You might find a different way to use it. It may not be the same way that you've always used cheese or always used milk. But if you find a way to get these in and get protein in and you're you're not just adding them to your diet, you're using them to replace what you would normally get protein from, you're doing yourself a tremendous service by cutting out all that fat. Great point. We don't want to send someone out and start adding soy cheese if you're not really a big cheese person. But if you are a big cheese person and you're willing to choose soy more often than not, good. And if you can't make the full switch, you know, you can't give up cheese altogether, you might try cutting it half and half. Uh, you know, make a compromise. You get some benefit from taking just a small amount of that cheese out because it's, it's tremendously high in fat and calories. Excellent. Excellent tip. The last product I wanted to mention, we're kind of going back and forth regarding the omega-3s. There's a product called Golden Circle Eggs, which contains omega-3s. How do they come? Are they come in a shell or do they come in a carton? They come in a carton just like regular eggs, but it's actually going to say right across the label um, contains omega-3s. So if you are a big egg eater, go ahead. You might as well get more bang for your buck. Sounds good to me. Now, we've got the ugly, the <laughs> ugly fats. Right. And these aren't just to be used in moderation. We're trying to get rid of these altogether. Eliminate them. All fried foods, generally speaking, unless you know specifically otherwise, can be assumed to have trans fats. If a restaurant uses an oil that's not a trans fat, they will let you know about it. Because they're spending extra money to do that for you. Exactly. Are the commercially available oils that restaurants use to cook in their kitchens is done so at the lowest possible cost to them. And that means using the trans fat hydrogenated oils. Right. Right. So many snack foods, like we were mentioning, those long shelf life, your your Twinkies and such that stick around in your 7-Eleven for a while are going to be made with trans fats. This is exactly how they get to stay on your shelf for as long as they do and still taste absolutely yummy for such a cheap cost. Inexpensive. So now we're going to bring you some in-the-news items. Slate.com is reporting on the 40th birthday of the Slurpee. And we had just mentioned 7-Eleven, but I'll I'll read you a little quote from them. 7-Eleven customers sip and slurp 11.6 million Slurpee beverages each month. Wow. Favorite flavors are Coca-Cola and Minute Maid Cherry. Since its introduction in 1966, close to 6 billion Slurpee drinks have been sold. Just about enough for every person on the planet to have brain freeze. Wow. Nutritional information for a Sprite Slurpee. 
The 16-ounce size is 220 calories and 50 milligrams of sodium. And then, in the Reno Gazette Journal, I found an article comparing the 7-Eleven Slurpee to a pint of Haagen-Dazs chocolate ice cream. <laughs> so, what do you think is going to be the worst of the two? The ice cream has more calories, but the difference is smaller than you might think. The Coca-Cola Classic Slurpee has 330 calories in about in the 22-ounce size. The 40-ounce Slurpee. Now, if you walk into your into your 7-Eleven and grab a Slurpee, the the predominant size is the 40 and larger. The 22-ounce one is the one they hide in the back, the little tiny uh-huh. cup. The 40-ounce Slurpee is nearly double at 600 calories. By comparison, a pint of Haagen-Dazs has over a thousand. But the Haagen-Dazs Vanilla and Almonds Bar has only 320 calories and 12 grams of fat. Yeah, so you're not going to be getting any fat in a Slurpee, but you know you're right. You get a Slurpee, a 40-ouncer, you're going to drink the whole thing. You get a pint of Haagen-Dazs, chances are we might eat the whole thing, but chances are we could put part of it away. Uh, you know what? If I if it's in my hands, the whole thing's getting eaten. I know some people can just kind of nibble at it, and the thing lasts for two months, and I don't. That's not me. And the funny thing is, and it's not even funny, but when you drink a Slurpee, if you're not using up that sugar as energy right away, and 40 ounces of energy is too much for any one sitting, it's going to be stored in your fat cells. So you don't even realize it just because you're consuming a fat-free product doesn't mean it's not going to convert to fat in your body. Well, the Slurpee is not all bad. Nope. There's a couple of good choices out there. You can try the Crystal Light Raspberry Ice Flavor, which is one I like, and the Lemon Lime Slurpee, 12 ounces for 50 calories. I mean, it's still, it's not fantastic, but it sure beats 600 calories. You know, the 22-ounce size has 90 calories. That's a tremendous difference uh, between 330 calories and 90 calories. Huge savings. Do you know what that's sweetened with? Is that with sucralose? I'm not sure what Crystal Light uses. Oh, aspartame. Gotcha. Aspartame. It's not water, but if you're in the mood for a Slurpee, you might as well have it. The Diet Pepsi Slurpee is almost calorie-free. Huh. It's six calories per serving. There you go. Tune in next time when we talk about fiber why it's needed, where to get it. You can subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes Music Store on Odeo.com and the Yahoo My Music Service. visit the website, which has even more quick links for you podcasting pros at eatingwellpodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks for your feedback, and thanks for all the people that sent in questions and emails. Really appreciate that. 
if you'd like to send us an email, you can, eating.well at gmail.com. You can record yourself as an MP3, as some people have done, or you can send a regular text email. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Be healthy. Eat well. The closing music is Up and Go by Rory, part of the PodSafe Music Network, available at music.podshow.com.